Somebody no. kiss this. Hello, you're listening to Blethered. I'm Sean McDonald, and my guest is comedy writer Matt Morgan. If you're not already a fan, Matt is probably best known for his radio partnership with Russell Brand, both on the BBC and most recently Radio X. We chat about his early life, his first steps in the entertainment industry, including chaotic creations with Russell, being backstage with Slash and Britney Spears at the MTV Music Awards, and also about his working friendship with Noel Gallagher. You can still hear Matt on Radio X periodically with previous blethered guest Gordon Smart and most recently on his excellent podcast, Matt Morgan's Funny How. In Matt's words, this was the first time he's spoken at length about his life in a slightly more serious manner, so I do hope you enjoy it. If you do, feel free to share it because it always helps. One quick word, I started Blethered just over a year ago and in that time I've released 50 episodes and had some great conversations with some brilliant guests. From people like Jim White and Mary Black to Gordon Smart and Darren McGarvey, everybody's told an interesting story and some people have opened up on mental health issues, gambling addiction, suicide attempts and a lot more. I want to give you more episodes with more guests so I've created a Patreon page to help me do this. Patreon allows listeners to pledge just a few pounds a month and in return receive varying levels of extra access. It helps support the show and the production of even more content and for that you have access to bonus episodes, frequent email updates with who's coming on the show, the possibility to ask questions directly to those guests, first shout on tickets for live shows in 2020, much much more and it's all listed on the Patreon page. You can find the link for that in the episode notes. Blethered is something that I work on 100% by myself, no 99%, it's 100% me, there's no producer, no editor, no researcher, I don't pay any guests to come on and chat with me, like some other shows, just me, a microphone and my laptop. I want to take things up a level and release more important conversations about things that need to be discussed while having a laugh doing it, so if you enjoy the show and you feel like you've taken something from it over the past year, it's helped you or it's just made you laugh, then the link to the Patreon page is in the episode notes if you want to consider supporting. Cheers. Thanks for coming. Down, you're not feeling well. I've got a little bit of a sniffle, Mm. but in the age of coronavirus, I obviously think I'm dying. (laughs) What is the hypochondriac thing? You talk about that, I've heard you say a few times. Um, it's actually not so bad now, but I, for years, it's not like, I know some people are real hypochondriacs, it's actually like a mental illness, mm-hmm. it's not like that, it's just, if I read a story in the Daily Mail about someone having a heart attack at whatever age, I immediately feel some sort of weird flutter in my heart and think, oh God, like I over-narrativize yeah. stuff, and That's then when I had children it got worse, because, I mean, you you've externalised your hypochondria to some other beings. Mm-hmm. So you're not only worrying about yourself, you're worried about them. But, um, yeah, it's under control. Good. I'm, the op- I'm the opposite. I just, I'm like, yeah, sorry. Not worried. Like, unless I'm seriously ill, I'm not bother with doctors or medicine or anything. But do you, not, 
like it feels like if you read like when you read stuff about cancer don't you think oh shit that person was really healthy and they just died of cancer mm-hmm. but then you always you always you look at people i'm trying to think i can't now think of any off the top of my head but there's always people who smoke drink eat terribly and they live to yeah to be really old so i always wonder is it is it random? Is it luck of the draw? I think it's genetics a lot. I'm mm. just going to lift my mic because it seems to be sinking slowly downwards. And as I'm growing. <laughs> so, basically want to talk to you about life and career. Good, um, right. Where you are. For anyone who might not know you, give us a wee rundown of who you are, please. In, ter- oh in terms of God. <laughs> in terms of like work and sort um, of shows you've been involved in. Well, I suppose I am mostly... I'm mostly a writer, a comedy writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, most people probably know me from doing radio stuff with Russell Brand, mm-hmm. uh, which we did for years. Um, and that, But now I, I mean, I do do some radio stuff still on Radio X. I do a podcast now. But yeah, I'm basically a writer, a comedy writer. We'll talk about all of that, the podcast as well. I've been enjoying the podcast, Funny How, Matt yep. Morgan's Funny How. Yeah. Um, so where like where are you from? <laughs> to take it right back geographically, yep. Um, Dartford in Kent, right. which is really only known for well the Dartford Tunnel and the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger went to my school. Did he really? Dartford Grammar, yeah. Actually, not when I was there. Interesting. Not that old. He uh, yeah, he was there in the fifties, I guess. How did you progress into comedy? Like, was it? Um, but basically, I've never made decisions. Do you know what I mean? I never had a plan. I never had... I was not ambitious, particularly. Mm. When I was at school, I, all I knew was I don't want to get up in the morning and go to a job. Mm. Like, I just... Because I hated... I couldn't... I'd go to bed too late. I was always... When the alarm went off and my dad banged on the door, whatever, at 7 o'clock, for, I was like, I want to kill myself. I can't deal with this. I'm the exact same. Yeah, and I'm, I I run late. Like, I'll go to bed at 2 and get up at 11. That's my natural thing, which obviously is difficult with kids, but that's where I go. Now, if there's school holidays, that's where I drift back to, right? So I just, I just hated that feeling. I just thought, I can't do an office job. But I literally was an idiot, and I thought, I'll be a rock star or an artist. You know, you which I mean I know some people do become those things but that was my plan I had no like there were kids who at my school you know who had they'd like as soon as they were 17 they had their driving lessons and they, you know they had a plan yeah. and they ended up owning a flat when they were 21 and had you know I had no plan so I sort of tumbled through life quite immature I think you know probably still am um, so there was no plan but what happened was I went to I left I got kicked out of school because well I didn't really do anything wrong they expelled a load of people because of the uh, the league table whatever it was so basically when they thought oh let's these people are going to fuck our um, results yeah. then there was me and about five other kids who they thought oh these guys are going to fuck this up so they expelled us so that, that legally we had to register for our exams as mm. an independent person so which is Fucking dark, but no. <laughs> I know it's really. You're going to get away with that now? No, surely not. I know it's just absolutely bizarre. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, but so basically, I drew a willy on a book <laughs> at the beginning of my A levels, right on the Return of the Native, and it's um, uh, like the guy in the foreground, his willy, 
I drew it and it was like, and it went off over the hills in the distance. <laughs> and then on the last hill, it was like, bing, up in the air. Right? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't my greatest work. But, um, and then some kid next to me started laughing at that, even though I'd been like that for two years. Mm. And the teacher went, what are you laughing at? And you get that feeling of, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, bring that book to me, look at the book, like go to the head of the year. So it was like, it's not like, you know, some schools where you'd be expelled for like punching a teacher. Yeah. It was pathetic. They sent me home. And I had two weeks till the exams, and I was terrified, really, because I was, I was like naughty, but like to get expelled, I was just like, "What? This is mental." Uh, and so I just—I mean, I was going to do all right, I think, in the exams, but I revised because I had nothing else to do, and I got a B in English literature, which I think was one of the highest. So they—they they probably, well, they sure, would have been really fit. fucking annoyed that they cut me out. So um, after that, I went to art college, and so. Basically, I um, that was a strict grammar school, and suddenly at art college, it was like you can wear whatever you want. You can, well, we took the piss. You can, you could, you know, you didn't need a letter from your parents to be off ill. This is how immature we were. It was like, oh, we're in charge of that. Wow, <laughs> wow let's never go in then. <laughs> so me and my mate Rich from school, who both he got expelled at the same time from school for a, I think for smoking or something. Uh, we went there together and then and I'd got really into the Sex Pistols and mm. punk and so we both were wearing tartan trousers we had bleach spiky hair we were so, like completely out of our time because it was the beginning of it was the end of grunge the beginning of Britpop I suppose culturally mid 90s yeah and then we were there dressed like John Lydon and then, but some of the teachers there were old punks so they loved it. They thought, oh, wow. Yeah. But anyway, um, I got expelled from there because <laughs> we didn't go in enough. And I didn't even go home for two weeks once because it was just, I was so, it was such a like, wow, this is amazing. We were 18 and there were people whose parents had just rented them a flat in Maidstone. So it was a bit of a drive. So we're Dartford, you won't know, but like, it's, you know, 20 miles or 10 miles or so. So we'd get there and then I'd be like, oh, I can't bother to go home. So we'd just stay over people's houses. We, so we were like, you know, having fun. And then I came home for, I hadn't been home for like two weeks and this letter was there to me because we were 18. Yeah. Uh, saying, you've been expelled. We've been trying to contact you. I mean, this is before mobile phones. I didn't have a mobile phone. I'm sure some people did, but they were huge. But like, if you were off radar, no one could contact you. So they'd sent a letter saying you're expelled. And then I was like, <clears throat> oh shit, I've done it again. <laughs> my parents. So literally, me and Rich both went down the job centre and I and we and they said, What do you do? And we said, Art. Oh. And I got a well, we both applied actually, it was one job and it was for a computer aided designer. It was the only thing that sort of came up vaguely artistic. We both applied for it and we both went for the job interview. And in the car park, as he was coming out, I was going in and he was like, ah, you cunt, you'll never get it. And I said, like, fuck off. Like that. <laughs> and then I came in and the guy said, oh, do you, do you know Rich? And I said, no, no. We don't. And he said that Rich had already lied, that he didn't know me. Right. And I just naturally lied that I didn't know him. I said, oh, yeah, I think I recognise his name from school. <laughs> but And the guy was like, well, you, got ex- you, you left school at the same on the same day and then you both got expelled from art college on the same day because it's midterm that you've the date the leaving date i was like oh 
yeah, I do know him, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, well, I got that job. Somehow I was better than him in some way, God knows what. Um, and so I did that, and I'd suddenly become, a, you know, an office job. Mm-hmm. I had to wear a suit. Well, I had to wear a shirt and tie. So your, your idea of a nightmare? I'd gone from a punk yeah. to an office worker. A company man. Yeah, in about two weeks or a month or something. And I was like, I just hated it. I couldn't do it. It was like... I remember I smoked at the time and it was just like, it was too early in the morning to have had breakfast. So I was like, I was drinking coffee because I was exhausted. Mm. And then I'd, it was just gross. It was like, I just felt awful. Um, no offense to people who do those sort of jobs, but it was not for me. Um, and then from there, I thought, right, I've got, to do, I want, still want to do art. And I applied to, I think it was a mature student by then because I was 19. I applied to university to do art and I got in. And so I did that. And from there, by the end of that, which, which was, I mean, I'm surprised it, it was very hard to get expelled from there, but you would only have got expelled for not having your work in on time sort mm-hmm. of thing, which I was pretty good at. And I enjoyed writing a dissertation and doing all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I've heard you saying that you work well when you've got like a bit of, like the fire's been lit beneath you, like you've got the deadline, like you yeah. have to just go and work oh, under yeah. that pressure. I'm kind of the same. I leave everything to the last minute. Yeah. <clears throat> But what I, I remember, because it was almost too unstructured for me, you could literally, because it was um, conceptual art, you could, it was basically about personality. So with the teachers, the tutors, whatever, they were looking at you thinking, is this person an artist? Mm-hmm. And so if you were weird and just sort of, the less you said almost, they filled in the blanks. And I worked <laughs> out how it worked, right? Yeah. So this was the time of, the YBAs, young British artists, I think the Damien Hurst, Tracy Emin, that sort of stuff, right? So you could potentially bring in, you know, your bed and go, "This is art," right? Which are, you know, like is arguably good. But I worked out that if you act weird enough, so basically, I was like trying to paint and do like good stuff and trying. As soon as you're starting to try and actually use it, like you know, classical methods like paint. They were a bit like, oh, this guy, you know, <laughs> he should have done like an illustration course. Yeah. And then there'd be like some mad posh woman just going like, um, yeah, I'm interested in like unicorns and garage doors. <laughs> and that's literally what this girl said that once. She was interested in unicorns because they're like just a horse with like a thing on its head <laughs> and garage doors. Because like men are really obsessed with like electric garage doors and having that power. I think it's like a dick. And all, honestly, that's and, and then she just stopped talking yeah. and the tutor would go, yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, like that. And so I thought, yeah. what? This is like a fucking joke. Just come out with any contest stuff. And any shit. Yeah, that's yeah. so profound. I found an office chair in a skip, right? A wheelie shit office yeah. chair. In a skip that was on the on the university campus, right? Because I'd done no work, and I and I said that's my work. I found it, and I, and I just thought, right, see what happens here. And the bloke went, he literally said, "You're a postmodern hunter gatherer." <laughs> I was like, "Yep, I love that." That's what happened. <laughs> Fucking and it, and from that moment on, I was like, "Oh right." So you, basically, it's like, I mean that. Well, I had the, yeah, the day to day and Chris Morris and that sort of stuff. Yeah, it, or Monty Python. So it was like comedy. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It was like if you say that if you can maintain a straight face and you seem like some sort of troubled, fucked up genius yeah. instead of some lad from Dartford who basically <laughs> fucked everything else up, you can get away with this. Yeah. 
So, and then in the end, it was so unstructured. I thought, when they said, oh, you've got to write a 10,000-word dissertation, I was like, oh, thank God, some actual yes, work, you know, to some, something to, like, to be academic about. And so I really, I wrote it about, um, I mean, it's probably utter shit, but I wrote it about negative aesthetics and horror, why we enjoy like feeling scared mm-hmm. or um why some ugly art like francis bacon and stuff like that like stuff that looks horrific or yeah. I'm, I'm really into like dark shit like that and so it was about that it was about like why we enjoy negative feelings and mm. and you know in art and stuff so i quite liked that but then anyway while in the last year of that i'd started doing running in uh tv studios in soho Sorry, edit facility. Was that just by chance? It was weirdly that place where I worked in the office, yeah. right? So I used to go there in the summer holidays of university and work in the factory mm-hmm. where the factory lads, I mean, it was funny, but like it was proper like toxic masculinity, oh, like yeah. on the, like to a different level, like workplace bullying. But you know, I quite, I thought it was quite funny, but like just you fucking puffed out. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh my God, mate. The, it was mental. You had to lock your phone in your drawer, right? So mobile phones had obviously appeared. Yeah. Uh, but, like, because they would get it and text your mum, mum, I'm gay. <laughs> and, you know, like, yeah, the, that yeah. was, like, a standard thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'd, like, anything that you cared, like, your house key, they'd drill a hole in it. And, do you know what I mean? It was, like, mental, like, stuff. <laughs> but I quite liked it and I could sort of, I, I was all right. Anyway, um, there was a bloke there and he said, he said to me, I don't know who he was, but like he was like a little angel, but he looked like um, oh, Les Dawson. And he appeared one day and said, like, what do you want to do, son? And I was like, well, you know, I think because I'd started talking to him and he'd realised, oh, he's probably not going to be in it, yeah, this bloke. Yeah. So I'd said I'd done art and stuff. I was doing art. And he said, oh, my friend runs a, a edit facility in Soho. You should go, you know, if you want to work in TV. Whatever. Mm-hmm. So he sorted it out. I went there, got a job as a runner. And then once you were in that world, you go, oh, right, this is what I'm going to do. Because yeah. I realised what I actually loved was comedy and writing. And what, yeah, I'd started writing stuff, actually. But, like, it was just a vague sort mm-hmm. of, oh, I want to work in telly because I like um, the day-to-day, which was Chris Morris thing, which I really liked. And, God, I can't even remember what it would have been back then. It's funny, like, that wee guy... You, like you meeting him, you're saying he appears like a wee angel. Like um, like, he was a toad, like a toad-like yeah. man, and his blood pressure was cl- so high you could see it was high. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I'm picturing him being like the the angel in um, oh, what the fuck's that Christmas film? It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, but you don't realise he's yeah. an angel. Um, he was you, a little angel. You, you can look at it two ways. I, I suppose it depends what your view on how you see the world, like through which paradigm you see the world. It could be. That's just a coincidence, or it could be it was kind of meant to be. How do you see it? Do you see it as it was? No, I think that guy, I don't know, that is a nice way of seeing it, maybe, but I think it's just because basically I, I am a certain way. So when he talks to the blokes in the factory, they, the conversation goes a certain way. Mm-hmm. And with me, it was like, oh yeah, I'm doing this, I'm thinking this, you know. Yeah. So he probably, so, you know, I don't believe he was, but he, but like it was, that's what I'm saying. I, I never thought, do you know what? I want to do this. I sh- this is how I do it. I was such a, I sort of, I don't know if it was because I was from Dartford and we just, you know, just, that didn't happen to people around there. So yeah. you, I just had no like belief or under, I just, it didn't, st- you know, strike me as possible that I could go and work in telly in London. 
There's also no reference point because you say once you're in that world and you see what it's like, but if you're on the outside of it, yeah, even something like radio, like yeah. that time um, when I was in the studio with you and Gordon Smart, mm. remember last summer, yeah, and seeing how things were done, you're like, oh fuck, right, okay, because all you see is the finished article, yeah, and seeing what goes into it beforehand, during, and whatever, it's like, oh, this is really interesting. This is it's weird, isn't it? Right? Yeah, it's yeah, really different for what I thought. Yeah, it's. I mean, that, that's a. Uh, because that was an afternoon show, so the energy's high. It's yeah. like, and the, the, of a corporate radio station, so it's like, there's a lot of adverts. There's yeah. a lot, you can't, you know, the traffic, the weather, whatever, it's all just a big machine. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Until you, yeah, so like, what happened was, I worked in those studios, and then I applied that Planet 24, who were massive at the time, they made Big Breakfast and TFI Friday and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. They did a thing where they searched for people and they were really up their own ass about it, but they were like, we're looking for, I had this meeting once where the guy went, we're looking for geniuses. And I knew the plural of genius was genii, but I didn't say anything. But I remember <laughs> thinking, you idiot. <laughs> but um, he said, like, we're looking for geniuses and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I got through to like the third round of this mad, you know, and I just thought, yeah. oh, this can happen. And then I didn't get any further. And it was like, oh, Jesus. And then they never got in contact until I chased them and then oh. they went oh no sorry you didn't get it so yeah. and I was like oh shit that was that was I thought like my only way in mm-hmm. and then I because I'd got so far in that that got me an interview at MTV because mm-hmm. I sort of applied there I just applied everywhere started working at MTV and Russell Brand was their new presenter signing and he what was this I'm trying to get my timing right. That was about year 2000, I reckon, then, because I was there when I I date everything by 9-11, and I remember being at MTV that day when it all kicked off. And did he not fuck it the next day by turning up dressed up as Osama bin Laden? He did, yeah. Did he... Did you both... So what had, had you, like, partnered? Because he said to you, come and work in this thing, I've had this show commissioned, but there was no show. Yeah, that was after. So what, what happened was... Honestly, I've said this to him. I thought, this guy is such a dick. Because the bloke was telling me, oh, we've signed this, he's hilarious, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I saw him, and he was just... And he just I just thought, what a cunt. Like that. <laughs> and I told Russell that soon afterwards. But, like... Um, and then we were stuck on a plane together to Dublin to do some MTV thing in Dublin. And we sat together, and we talked about comedy. And I loved Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, like... Mm all that stuff Monty Python and Alan Partridge I can't remember whatever mm. at the time we were talking about that and I was like alright oh, we got on with old um, Steptone Son and Hancock which mm. nobody knew about Hancock's half hour really my age um, which is Gorton and Simpson who wrote Steptone Son right, okay. right? but I loved it it was something about it Kenneth Williams was in it sometimes it was just like beautiful actually it was a radio thing and then a TV thing and uh, Hancock's an interesting figure because he mm. basically sacked his writers because he thought he was the show and then mm. couldn't sustain it because they were brilliant writers, you know. And, and so he was, and he killed himself. It's all a bit sad. But we were talking about that, and it was like, oh, actually, I like this guy. Mm. And um, and then yeah, from there, he I sort of became weirdly this crutch for him where he, I didn't realise, but he started taking heroin around mm. that time. Uh, I didn't realise at first, I mean. Um, and then there was... it's on, He's on video, actually. It's on one of his DVDs where he was... We were doing the afternoon show. It's called Select, where kids phone in mm-hmm. and choose a bit, uh, you know, like a like a jukebox sort of thing. And 
he's on camera before we go live or before we went he's like where's matt where's matt i can't do this without matt so i so i had like the head of mtv come to find me and go you need to go down to the studio because russell was so i was and i was an intern which mm. was like the lowest of the low yeah. so yeah and then um what i probably should have done is stayed there and you know worked in telly and, and but russell was like oh yeah i've got a show commissioned on uk play it's going to happen i need you to work on it you're writing it blah 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 so i left mtv to go and do that and then that just didn't materialize <laughs> and so i had to sign on and i was back in dartford signing on thinking shit why mm. did i do that um and then couldn't get back in yeah until he did get that show commissioned was it rebrand yeah <clears throat> it was called rebrand i mean it was fuck knows what I, it was I've I've watched them all how have you yeah I've quite a few times because so from my perspective I was a big fan of his and yours in terms of comedy and I was quickly aware that you were involved in writing a lot of stuff was it you who came up with the quip uh, um, Bob Geldof no that was him was it him no I was there yeah, we've, it was the was that the Brits? It was, wasn't it? Or the Enemy so. Awards? Yeah, I think it was Enemy. Enemy Awards. God knows what year that was. Two thousand and four or something? Mm. Maybe I don't know. Um, he, enough. yeah, it was a really good joke. No, we were writing jokes, and he said, "I bet Bob Geldof's going to have a fucking pop at me because we knew he was there and he mm. was doing something." And I went, "No, he won't." And then he said, "He just came out of it." He goes, "No wonder he's such an expert in famine. He's been dining out on I don't like Mondays for thirty years." Brilliant. And I went. Pfft fucking hell and he went that's good isn't it I said yeah that's really good he goes shall I say it anyway even if he says no I said, no that's <laughs> yeah, so right, aggressive antagonize imagine that yeah. <laughs> but then um, and I knew so we knew he had it up his sleeve mm. but I, honestly in a million years just thought and that's weird for Russell because he's he's you know you if you like him or not as a comic he never attacks anyone yeah. he's always you know it's always positive really mm-hmm. but he was like you know, he doesn't normally write stuff like that, so it just popped out, and it was like, oh, fucking hell. And then I was on stage, but I had, like they told me where I could stand, where I wouldn't be in the shot. Mm-hmm. I think it was on TV, it must have been. Yeah, it was. Um, so I, it felt weird, because I was only about a metre from Russell, but mm-hmm. I was out of the shot, right? Yeah. So I um, I was stood there, Geldof came up. So the intro line to Geldof was like, here he is, something about Bono's ego, and his mate Bono or whatever, and he comes up and he goes, Russell Brand, what a cunt, like that. And and Russell looked hurt, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, you know, because he, he is sensitive and he's putting himself out there and it was the beginning of his, and it was just like, fucking hell. And then the room, I got, it sort of got a laugh, there's a wave, you know. And he looked, at, and I thought, that's out of order. Like, it, Russell had done nothing, yeah. do you know what I mean? It wasn't, mm-hmm. it was, there was no, uh, and so I think Geldof misread the room slightly of like, oh, we're all thinking this. So it wasn't a massive, like, I don't know, it was mm-hmm. it was all a bit like, what? A bit early in the night for yeah. that. And then I was trying to catch Russell's eye and he looked over at me and there was a beautiful moment where I just went, nodded and yeah, was like, do it. do it, fucking do it. And then, and then I thought, oh, I was getting like excited, thinking he's going to say it, he's going to say it. And then I thought, no, he's not going to, because he went up there and started going, oh, that's not very nice, my mum's watching, and it sort of went soft, and I was like, oh, he's not going to do it. And I was watching Geldof, and he delivered the line, and it was just like, boom, Explosion. it was a really good, yeah. Well, it wasn't that, it wasn't like everyone nah. stood up and cheered, but like, it was like, oh, that yeah, fucking can't. landed. And I watched him, and he got his phone out, and he was like texting on his phone, and like, you know like went into a sort of like fuck like yeah. you could see it got him panic yeah and I think he's publicly said 
that was a good line, like well done, sort yeah. of thing. I don't, no one, you know, it's all fucking performance. It's not, no, I don't yeah. think anyone's really hurt by it. But no, it was a, that was a bit of a magical moment. But the um, <clears throat> sorry, I took his totally away. Um, but yeah, I, I read about the rebrand thing in my bookie book, and also we'll come on to that a wee bit oh, that yeah. sort of later when he's kind of talking about you. Um, but the rebrand thing was. It was nuts. For, right, so for anyone who doesn't know, it was like a documentary series, sort of fly on the wall, and it was various episodes. There was one where he explored his relationship with his dad and he fought him. Okay, there's one where he invited a homeless man to come and live with him. She had a bath with him. Um, the oh, the Britain first, the sort of BMP yeah, one. BMP guy. Yeah, Mark Collar, he's quite, I didn't want to get that. He's still doing that yeah, now, isn't he? Um, yeah. Yeah, but basically what happened was we went there, they said, he was, I think telly's changed now, that people just thought, oh, this guy's interesting, give him a show and see mm-hmm. what happens, whereas yeah. now it would, it's not as loose as that. Mm-hmm. So he'd sort of got this, in general, thing commissioned, and then we had to work out what it was. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was on heroin and didn't really care. He just, you know, Russell were always, he was never like, going, oh, God, I'm so grateful for this opportunity, cap-doffing, like I was much more. Yeah. He's just like, man, whatever, it'll be all right. You know, he just sort of coasted through life. I mean, heroin did, helps you do that. Did, did but, that Did that annoy you? Because... Um, no, I think it was... I think with Russell, it's like I would never have done half the stuff I've done or yeah. know half the people I do. I've never have done radio. He, mm-hmm. um, our agent at the time, just said, you're doing radio this weekend with Russell and I was shitting myself because I was like Ugh. you know and I would never put myself out there so I'm grateful to Russell for all that because he was always like yeah no you're great you can do it and I never like, he believed in me way more than I did mm-hmm. you know so I would just get swept along and be like oh, I don't want to do this oh, yeah. and he just go nonsense come on he was he was nuts back then yeah. he used to like step into the road and I remember it really clearly and say, like, the motor car isn't invented for another 50 years. <laughs> and cars would just go, and stop. <laughs> and, like, stuff like that. Because yeah. he was fucking nuts. Yeah. It was like some, like, Dr. Zeus thing. It was like the cat in the hat. It was like suddenly meeting some mad person who, you know. I remember once as well, he dropped a pen. And in all seriousness it clattered to the ground and he shouted at it silence like that <laughs> and I was just like this guy's off his head yeah but um, and then yeah we where were we rebrand so our, my idea was psychological jackass mm. or jackass or whatever you say that in yeah. a fucking English accent but um, yeah he it was like that was massive at the time and you know if instead of hitting yourself in the nuts like we were thinking what what stuff that's just fucking mental to do yeah so fighting your dad was you know well what happens is you have the idea and then it has to go for a lawyer or like a grown-up has to go yeah because the original idea for that was we put a bag get wear masks get his dad in the street put a bag (laughs) over there put him into a van and beat him up in a factory in a disused factory (laughs) and then that became to your reservoir dogs yeah and it was like well, no, we have to ask him. No, yeah. We can't ask him because then he'll know it's us. Yeah. It's like, well, he has to know it's you. <laughs> you could have a heart attack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that turned into we needed a boxing gym yeah. with a trainer there. We had to have first aid. Do you know what I mean? You have to this telly. It's like, yeah. I mean, still, you wouldn't get away with half of the stuff now. <laughs> I mean, fuck me, it was mental. The uh, the homeless guy one, 
I think they get is a Scottish guy called James. Yeah, uh, that was nuts. And yeah. even the guy, there's a clip where Russell's chatting to him, and he's like, "Do you think this is weird?" And the guy's like, "Yes, <laughs> like, I could be a, I'm not, but I could be a mass murderer." He's like, "You're let me sleep in your bed. You're having a bath with me. Yeah. You're cleaning me. Like it's nuts." Yeah. Um, I, I had a real. I remember the first time I watched it, I was really entertained. And who? What is the name of the guy? Who was the stuntman? The stuntman. Do you remember who I'm talking about? No. He went. Oh, Eddie Kidd. Eddie Sorry, Kidd. Yeah, I totally yeah, forgot yeah. about that one. Yeah. 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 So Eddie Kidd. What was that idea of being? I don't know, but I don't know what that one. Mm. I don't know what the because they all had a sort of hypothesis. Yeah, there was. Like there was one point. we made that we couldn't show. Oh really? Yeah. Can hell, what was it? Um, he, me and him went on this holiday to the Norfolk Broads which was mental and we spoke about it on the radio where we the bloke wouldn't let us have the boat if it was two lads mm. I don't know if it was homophobia or just two lads are going to wreck it mm. so I phoned up he phoned up first and then the bloke said no so I phoned up and said me and my wife want to book this boat right because we've got the same accent and we're talking to someone in Norfolk. He went, you've just phoned me up, haven't you? And I was like, no. <laughs> and so anyway, we got this boat and then fucked up the boat completely. Smoked weed and drank and the boat was like wrecked. Oh. We smashed it. You meant to go like 12 knots or whatever it was. No, you meant to go six or something. We were just thrashing it. Mm. We went into open sea. We got to wherever it was. I can't remember the name of the place. Um, but we, you know, it was, we were mental. Mm. And it was like with Nell and I on a boat. And then we gave it back to the bloke. And then we went to, I caught a cold because there was one blanket and Russell had it. It was like ridiculous. Yeah. I was ill. We went to a hotel and uh, he was full on sex addiction mode. And he was like, I need to go and fuck a prostitute. And he went, right. <laughs> and then he came back and said, I couldn't do it. I went round her house and there was kids toys and it was like really grim and you know I felt really sorry for her and the situation was really awful so when we got back to London we were like could you like I was like that's interesting that you know because she was too humanised you couldn't mm -hmm. do it so clearly prostitution's wrong if you knew that person could you still go through with it mm -hmm. you know if you see someone as a commodity it's easy whatever yeah. there's some idea behind it and then so we lived with her actually we lived in a hotel down the road but we spent a lot of time there and it was really fucking tragic she was on the game supporting hers uh, her husband's and her husband's brother's heroin addiction and there was a kid in the house and that was why we couldn't show it because there was points where they were all like gouching or whatever you call it you know nodding yeah. off on smack and there's this poor little kid running around oh, and, that's and then we're you know you're making a documentary but like i'm making a sandwich for this kid because no one else is and it was just tragic yeah. it was awful was it, do you know if there was anything done in terms of reporting it or? yeah there was because um the guy who ran the production company watched it and said but this can't go on telly because mm. they'll they'll lose custody of their child but so he contacted social services and said like you know you need to I don't know what yeah, happened to something. her. But the last thing I heard, I think she got off. It was just awful. It was like so depressing. Yeah. But the point of the thing was, he, once he knew them, he th that was it. He said, after like a week of like helping them out and, you know, like talking to them and stuff, he said, right, I want to give you 50 quid. I'm going to have sex with her to the husband. And then he started crying. He was like, no, no, you know. Like, and Russell went, well, that's what's happening every day. Yeah. And like, 
it goes both ways. So now I'm humanised as a customer. It's like it was. It was actually really beautiful, and in the end, they all cried, and yeah. it was like, you know, but um, yeah, it was fucking that's, properly mental. That's horrendous. It took me about two or three days coming back to my normal life to go. All right, you know, to sort of unpack it all. Yeah, what it was almost happened. like you needed counselling after it. We were well out of our depth, you know. Mm. We were like. It was just mental that we were given that money to go and do that. But I think there was, like, Russell, you know, whereas I would have gone, oh, we're not allowed to do it. Like, grown-ups would go, well, we can't really do that. Russell yeah. would go, we're doing it, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And he's got so much force of personality that they'd back down. And so we'd end up doing something that had never been done before. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, at the first, you know, sort of, well, grown-ups are telling us we shouldn't, you know, like the the big... You know, the, with the money, the, the saying, real adults. Yeah, so the adultier adults. Yeah, so I would go. Uh, maybe we should listen to him. So I uh, often tempered him. You know. Yeah, I was going to say there's a balance. He is like yin and yang. You temper him, and he then pushes you when needed. Yeah, and it's just this good duo. Did that then lead on to other opportunities? Because you've done quite a, quite a few writing things, but in terms of together, or was it then? I'm trying to think what because Radio Two started not too long after. Is that right? Am I right in saying that? No, I think we... Well, we were on Six Music first and then that went on to Radio 2. I don't know how... I can't remember the uh, how long we were there. Probably a year, I don't know. Um, what happened next after that? I think I had to go and... I just worked in telly, so I wasn't necessarily working with Russell. I worked mm-hmm. in Granada doing development and um, then I... I can't remember. I just basically slowly started writing stuff on my own and then Russell's career took off to the point where he was in Hollywood Mm -hmm. so I was over there writing a film for him and Adam Sandler (laughs) that Sandler had paid for his production company and which you know just it was alright but it never saw the light of day yeah Um, but you know it's well paid and stuff and then me and him fell out me and Russell fell out so I came back to London I got married. That was why we fell out because I'd met my, what was to be my wife in LA. And I was like, oh, can I stay in LA a bit longer at the house that he had rented? And he was he wouldn't let me stay there because he was like, no, we don't get on. We were staying in the same place. And I was like, well, you'll be in London. We had this argument, basically. It was, it, to be fair to him, it was in the fallout from the MTV Awards where... So we'd done this off the, you know, doing the Brit Awards and NME Awards. We'd done, yeah. he'd done the MTV Awards. Oh yeah, he got flack, returned well, to cowboy, yeah, and stuff. That's it. Yeah. So we for like, anyone for anybody wondering, that was a reference to George W. Bush, wasn't it? Yeah. He said, yeah. Um, you, yeah, it's really, you know, people say America's um, right wing or something, but oh, like, wait, you're not forward thinking enough to have a black president, but you've had that retarded cowboy in office for eight years. Yeah, it was like to, to yeah, it was something effect. like that, and yeah. it was like. Uh, yeah, because it was Obama was on the rise, um, and it was like, oh yeah, in our country he wouldn't be trusted with a pair of scissors, <laughs> and it was like, it wasn't that bad, but he yeah. didn't call him a retarded cowboy. And yeah. they, so MTV yeah, threw true. us under the bus a bit because they said, no, retarded's not a problem. That's what we'd say. That's fine. <laughs> but they knew, they just knew this is going to be controversial. Yeah. Let's fucking put them out there and say everything. Yeah. I remember right, there was a moment where I stood between Slash and Britney Spears. On the in the backstage bit, so <laughs> she's like waiting to go on, holding a card type thing, mm-hmm. and Slash was doing something like Slash is like Guns and Roses you know, yeah. when I was a kid, massive for me. And 
he'd been on our radio show so he knew me to the point of going all right mate you know yeah, yeah. but hey man <laughs> yeah. um i said all right mate and so i was like oh that's fucking mental slashes there yeah. and there's a monitor like a um a little repeat of the uh like um the what's it called auto cue yeah or teleprompter they call it in america and it was just a little monitor backstage to and you could see what was on the teleprompter. Mm-hmm. And it said, I can't remember what the joke was, but it was something about Britney Spears. It was going like, oh, the music industry, something about the music industry. It's not the, you know, it's one of the most toxic industries. Toxic was her song. Maybe it was that joke. Mm-hmm. But like, toxic industry, uh, blah, 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 blah. And the time when all Britney's hair fell out because of it or something like that. Something yeah. about her being, there's a joke about her being bald because she'd shaved her hair at that time. I can't remember the joke, but she was reading it off this sort of again. wait, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> and then I was just there, and I, and I went into. And Russell had like this tented off area, and he he kept going out there doing a link, and then coming back, going, "Oh God, it's fucking!" It was an like industry crowd, which is yeah. hard anyway. And then all the kids who are in the audience are like the kids of the industry people, yeah, yeah. and Russell was like talking 100 miles an hour. So do you know what I mean? It was like I don't think they could understand mm-hmm. some of the stuff, and we were doing it like we were doing the Brits, where yeah. it's like just fucking say weird shit and and quite shocking stuff yeah and so in the end we were just like ditch the script like this is going really badly mm. and i was like britney spears has read that already <laughs> <laughs> so he just i don't know what i'd love to watch it back actually but we'd done that and it had gone i thought it was all right but he was getting death threats yeah and like like literally you know you're in america and it's like fucking we, we know where you are we're gonna yeah. kill you type death threats and i was like yeah but I mean, he, we all said this. It's like, if you're going to kill someone, you just go and kill them. Yeah, you don't... To tell them. Let them know the time and place. Yeah, I'm going to come and kill you in a minute. <laughs> um, but anyway, like, you know, death threat's probably not the nicest thing yeah. to receive. Uh, so, yeah, that went... So he was it was in the fallout of that and then writing that film. And I, I'd sort of... Oh, we were just in each other's pockets. Yeah. And it was like, we're doing the radio show and it was building up. We basically... It was funny, but we'd like have lists against each other going you did this you did that and we'd end up shouting at each other yeah. and it was funny to a point but there was it was un, there was an undercurrent of reality there it was yeah. like you know um it sort was disguised in humor yeah the um do you know what i think see the you know the whole we won't spend too much time on it because it's been spoken about to death but the whole andrew sachs thing were you in the studio that night no nah, of course i wasn't no nah. um I, that was on i can remember i was i listened to that live did you? Yeah, it was the day before my 18th birthday, so I was in, <laughs> and I, I had it on TV, um, and I was just listening, and nothing happened, there was no complaints, it was a thing stirred up by the Daily Mail, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, like basically, yeah. Complaints were I all think, retrospective. I think even a, a week after it happened, there was three complaints, and they, they were like, what you normally, it was like, we he'd pronounced the, some northern town wrong, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So people go, the BBC, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I... So basically, we had this. I said to him, "Please, can I stay at the house because I've met this girl?" Mm-hmm. And he was like, "No." And I was like, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm being paid for the. I was like skint basically, and the whole thing, like his manager at the time, who was my manager at the time, which really was, which sucked because like we had the same agent, so I yeah. had no, I had no leeway, no yeah, to argue. He was like, "Oh, look, he's getting bigger and bigger. The money's coming. Don't worry." It was all like that, and it was like, "Fuck off!" Like, yeah. I can't pay you know I've, i can't afford to stay in la and you've got this huge house rented and i was living in the pool house it wasn't even in the main hmm. yeah um but whatever we whatever that happened and so i was i stayed there 
And then I got a phone call from the agent just going, you're not on the radio show anymore. I was like, all right, fuck off, whatever, don't fuck care. Sick. And then, um, you know, because like, he's the star. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, who gives a shit? So I was actually a bit relieved because it had been building up into like, yeah. you know, even though I literally did two or three hours of whatever, I think it was two hours at that point. It's only two hours a week. Mm -hmm. But it would like be hard work and, you know, it was just, and he was like in a, mental place he was like suddenly a Hollywood star all this stuff was going on and you know he was like filling his boots with whatever he was clean but he was proper sex addict you know yeah. I think I heard him I read him saying that at the height of the Hollywood fame or the explosion of um, celebrity into that next level that it was probably the unhappiest he'd ever been yeah I was yeah. detached from reality and what what mattered because he's obviously now taken a completely different path, hasn't he? Yeah, you could. Yeah, I mean, it was being around him. I watched because I'd always been around quite extreme people. Like looking back, he wasn't the maddest bloke in my life. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was just one of them, really. Like a lot of my friends were. I'd always don't know why, but gravitated towards people who were slightly extreme in some way. Mm -hmm. So, in many ways, he you know it wasn't like he was violent or. He, was a fight you know i had mates mm -hmm. who were like a fucking pain in the ass if you went out and they were drinking you know like yeah it wasn't like that it wasn't like oh god anything can happen but you could see if it was it would build up in intensity and it would get madder and madder and because russell's mad anyway or was mad it was like it was just like being in pressure cooker of like it got to the point you just think this is this is mental mm -hmm. you know and but i could stay i could sort of exist in that zone right because I was quite level-headed level -headed and balanced in some way. don't know how, but I just was. Like, it didn't shock me. But mm -hmm. you saw people come in, get caught up in that storm, and then get sort of turned inside out by it. Yeah. Because they weren't, they just, I don't know, it's weird. People who stumbled into that group of people and then, you know, just couldn't handle that madness. And they, they'd lose their job. You know, like, they, I don't know, there was a lot of sort of, casualties did reconciliation has come though hasn't it like yeah yeah so what happened was because um, it wasn't actually an argument it was just like you know it was, I just got pushed to the wayside anyway so but he dumped me off the radio show which and then it was like I think you had David Baddiel Noel Fielding maybe another one Simon Amstel maybe and then Jonathan Ross mm. and yeah so the and then Sax Guy happened yeah. but like I would never have, it wouldn't have happened with Surely. me there because it wasn't even a live, it was pre recorded. Yeah. So, did it, you not say that you, there wasn't, that you could see there was no malice behind it in the sense that he, while on the phone, pictured in his head Manuel standing like with a tray in his hand yeah. on the phone? Yeah. So, you would have just been like, wait a minute, come on to fuck. Yes, yeah. I still. But like, I would have. I mean, basically what happened was Jonathan Ross said it first. He fucked your granddaughter. Yeah. And yeah. But then he left the building thinking that's never going on air. We were just having some fun. Yeah. You know, so really, I mean, yeah, they still left those messages. And it could have still been a thing. It was just mm. like unfortunate. But if I'd have been there, I, I don't know. I just would have gone, hang on, wait, like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, like sing it. But don't just sing. I don't know. I don't want to get involved in that really because yeah. I, uh, but yeah, you know, I don't. But Russell's got no, or he had no real filter of you know. So that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. And without me there, there was probably no one. Well, I know there was no one who could tell him to stop. Rain yeah. man. Yeah, but then I don't think it was that bad. And it was quite funny. Like the song they made up, it wasn't yeah. malicious. He rhymed 
consensual with menstrual. I mean, off the cuff, that's quite impressive. Yeah, it's pretty good. He's good at that stuff. But like, I would have gone. You could, yeah, no, you're getting like it's out of order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think at the point, I don't know. If I was there, I probably would have said, and I don't do that on his answer phone. Like, pretend we're doing that. Yeah, you know, don't actually leave that. Do it. I don't know. It was just a massive fucking blow up. But I watched that, so I was in LA with my to be wife mm-hmm. and I sort of wasn't looking at the internet much and then I looked up and it was like questions were being asked in parliament about it and my initial feeling was like ha huh, because they'd fucked me off yeah but also like thank fuck I'm not involved in that yeah because people you know producers names were in the paper and it was all just a big mess but people having to leave the yeah. BBC and stuff yeah yeah she, Leslie Douglas lost her job and Jonathan mm. Ross left the BBC but like yeah it was the Daily Mail it was a perfect storm for them because it was Russell who they hated Jonathan Ross who they hated BBC who they hated yeah and all three together and they just whipped it up into yeah. a frenzy to the point where whoever the who was it David Cameron with the Prime Minister was uh, had to mention it in Parliament you just think fuck it <laughs> you know fucking <laughs> hell there's bigger things happening yeah Where did that come from? I was on the computer. Yeah, that was weird. I don't know if anyone will hear that, but we just had the phone ringing in our ears there, um, which was the pause. Um, doing kind of more your own thing, one thing I want to talk about, because I've really been enjoying it, is your podcast, Matt Morgan's Funny How, when you explore what people find funny. Yeah. How did it come about and how has it been going? How many more episodes have to come? Um, well, it will just run and run, I think, but like I think the contracts for 20 at first right. so i've done six i think or the six have been out yeah um at first I, like, I wanted to do a podcast or i just thought like you know not in a completely cynical way but like i need to make more money i need to mm. support myself and that's, that would be you know how can i do that because i did a bit of radio last year with gordon smart and i was like oh no i like doing this this is you know it's good to because I do writing, so basically that's my day job, writing mm. sitcoms. I wrote a thing called The Mimic for Channel 4, and I've just written a thing that's out in a month. It'll be out on March the 11th, I think, on BBC Two, called Mr. Winner, right. uh, which is a family sitcom, but it's, you know, it's all right. Um, so that's my job. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, you know, you can only do so much in in the day doing yeah. that. So I was thinking, well, why don't I do something else, like a podcast? Um, and the initial idea, I was going to talk to people about like internet rabbit holes and weird stuff they found online because, I mean, it's pretty endless, that stuff. And it's funny. And you tell yeah. people, I was like, go check this thing out, you know, um, around that time. Cause I'd got, I was one night stayed up watching night fights on, uh, YouTube. Oh mate, I love it. I love watching bouncers fighting and stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. And like, and I'm completely into that sort of if yeah. it goes this bouncer pick, this guy picked on the wrong bounce or whatever this bounce picked on the wrong guy so, yeah. and you think oh, I want to see that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know retribution <laughs> so I'm like and then hit him because I did Krav Maga as well for a few years and so once you've learnt like um, the, the psychology of fighting and yeah. like how to actually defend yourself and how yeah. to fight properly you watch those videos because you're sort of I'm, I, I can remember most of it but it's not like I Unless you train it three times a week, yeah. it's very hard to stay in the mindset of, you know, because you're not mm-hmm. a soldier guarding a checkpoint. You <laughs> can't stay in that mindset. So, because my teacher used to say to me, when you're walking down the street, anyone, anyone, just imagine that they're going to attack you and what you would do and how you would defend yourself. And so I started doing that. And then you think, this isn't fucking healthy. Yeah, that's a good thing. Fucking <laughs> Some old lady walking towards me, and I'm like, I'm going to elbow her in the throat. <laughs> so I didn't 
I try that to you know but like basically it gives you a, an understanding yeah. of like fighting because you see yeah. oh they did that wrong you know um, so yeah but internet rabbit holes not just violent ones but like anything there's a big uh, community of people who collect plastic lawn chairs not in a, not in a like weird sex way they just yeah. like them and they collect them I go down weird ones recently I've really I've, this is going to sound like I need to go in for some psychological analysis but see go like on. animals attacking like a oh, lion mate, done a, that yeah. a lion attacking a guy done a few nights of that yeah I watched because I like going camping, right? And my wife was, and I was like, oh, you know, her family are in Colorado now. And I was like, man, that is fucking amazing for yeah. camping. She's like, there's lynx or bobcats or wildcats, oh, whatever they're called. That. And there's bears, right? And I was like, look, bears are more scared of you. No, I just had this like arrogant sort of like bears. Yeah. I'm not going to get eaten by a bear. Yeah. Stupid. Bears will be scared of us. And then she said, no, it's like, you know, bears are dangerous yeah but certain times yeah, if you've got an injured bear or like a hungry bear or whatever like yes they'll stay away from you but if you've got food they'll come and mm. you know and bears can be whatever and it's like and then i looked on youtube at bear mm. attacks and there's one where a bear kills a stuntman i saw that where he um he's standing beside him and he just yeah, goes for he just his throat goes for his throat and the yeah. noise and the guy dies oh it's it, horrible the scream yeah the scream because it's like your throat's being ripped out yeah so it's this high-pitched animal yeah from the man but sounds like an animal you know yeah, it's like pure i mean it's fucking I'm horrible my fucking head in my hands here just remembering that yeah i saw that yeah but like and and then you go oh like with me it's not in any way i just want to know like i was talking to someone about this the other day on my podcast actually i look at that stuff and i always have done since the internet started having like do you remember rotten.com there was yeah this, yeah yeah you know like if there's a, like what does someone look like who's died in like a machine an accident in a factory or yeah. whatever right they get you know you, you hear about that stuff and you think well what does that look like well i don't want that to happen to me what does that and so like and so i would look at that stuff i'm quite it doesn't bother me do you know what i mean it's not mm -hmm. like oh i've got ptsd from looking at these pictures yeah. but i imagine it's different if you see it in real life and yeah it's much more visceral but there's a there's a couple of that that i've been curious about like one that sounds horrendous but it was just a morbid curiosity and i yeah. was like if if someone um like jumps into a river what do they look like because yeah. it says like you know they they will be underwater for like days yeah and come up and, I was, and then i searched it and i was like oh, fuck i wish i never searched that yeah it's like they blow up and their lips yeah. and tongue go really massive like, really white weird yeah. color not yeah race. but like yeah no I've, I've i've always been drawn to weird and dark the weird and dark mm -hmm. side of things and it, that's not in a not in like an enjoyment of it why it's just like i want i need to know yeah i need to know what that is like what you know mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of people do that if you go like do you want to see some pictures of this extreme thing that you know you're never going to see in real life yeah. you'll go yeah why not but some people are clever and go no nah, i don't need to see that yeah, yeah. no i'm i'm the i'm the one who needs to see and then i regret it um, but so while we were talking about that so like my um podcast yeah so I, that was what i was going to do and then i realized that's too limiting and also you're putting mm. the um, pressure on the guest to come with things so you've got to not just line up a guest and sort out a time and all that mm -hmm. stuff you're gonna say can you playing that's noisy you're gonna say uh can you you know suggest two or three things that you found on the internet you're giving them work to do yeah, yeah. and twinned with the fact that my first guest was noel gallagher yeah and He's. I, I thought. I oh, know he's not really an internet. It's not like Noel's up on the internet <laughs> at night on YouTube watching weird shit. But it turns out he is. But 
um, in the day, literally the day before, no, the day of the uh, record, I was yeah. like, no, I'll just do it about comedy. Yeah. Because I know about that. And also, I, and so the, in the first episode, there was a bit where I talked to Noel about rabbit holes on the mm-hmm. internet because I told him to come prepared for that. So we ended up talking about it. But um, yeah, so it's about comedy and humor. And what I'd like yeah. to do actually, and my plan is to get people, I think you, it helps to have sort of famous comedians or, you know, like people with public profile at the yeah. beginning. But I want to get to the point where I can talk to like, and you know, um, through Gordon, actually, I know a couple of like the SAS, ex SAS guys. Like Aldo and Foxen. Yeah, those guys. And it's like, what's funny, like, I want to talk about like, because, you know, there'll be workplace humour in yeah. the SAS, there'll be gallows humour. Like, what is it? is it? And also, like, when you come out of the SAS, do you, what sort of comedy are you into? Are you into like dark, fucking terrible, you know, Frankie Boyle mm-hmm. sort of jokes? Or because you've been through the, all that shit, do you want to just watch, you know, um, I don't know, Forty Towers? That would be interesting. I suppose it would be dependent on the person and sort of unique to them. Yeah. There'll be a rationale be- for every sort of explanation of their, their comedy preferences. Yeah. But you've you've met those guys, haven't you? Yeah. It's like banter, you know, like it's laddie. Aye. There's a th- that humour which I'm comfortable with. I like that. You yeah. Know, I think it's all right. Um, so and also like you know talk to I don't know it's like someone who's who deals with corpses or something you know and just go mm-hmm. like is there anything funny about your job that makes you laugh you know like so that's what I'd like to get to where I'm it's much more sort of a delve into humour what makes us laugh yeah, what makes what? It, and obviously it's very personal like you say mm-hmm. you can't just go oh weirdly surgeons all find this funny <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. you know what makes me laugh is things that are out of order Things that I really shouldn't be saying. I find yeah. that really funny. Like like transgressive sort of Frankie Boyle, Jimmy Carr yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think sometimes the darker the better. I really like um, Bill Burr. Yeah, I love Everything Bill Burr. he says, I just find, I find him absolutely hilarious. He's really cutting. I think people that are cutting um, yeah. sort of homogenised, um, softened humour, like no harm to him, but people like Russell Howard and stuff, I'll just switch off. Yeah. I'm like, nah, it has to be a bit more cutting to the bone. Yeah. Um, to find it funny. You, uh, the episode with Noel was really good. That's what I like about your show, is although it's comedy sort of centred, the chats just do go off in mad tangents. I find that interesting to see where, where people take it. The one with Noel was good, and you've done yeah. quite a lot of that things. That was the first one, and it was, I was nervous. Yeah. Um, not because of Noel, because I know him quite well, but like, just thinking, fuck, can I do this? Because yeah. it's the first. That's the first thing I've ever done on my own. You mm. know, like it's very different. You write a sitcom. You've got, I mean, the process. I talk about that in my uh, latest one with Terry Minot, who was the star of the Mimic, the mm-hmm. sitcom I did. Did two series of that, and like that is a very different thing because you are putting your head above the parapet in yeah. some way, but you're not really. You know, it's, it's not. You're not the star of it. You're not the. You can always sort of blame someone else and go, yeah, that was a bit shit, but. I'll do yeah. another one, you know. Yeah. Um, so this, the, so my podcast is the only thing I've done where it's like that's my name on it. Yeah. And the, that makes me cringe, like having my name on it. I think, oh, you fucking big head. Well, see, you've got a really big fan base. Um, yeah, from yeah. the from years of the radio show. Yeah, and people are obviously delighted to to um, to be hearing you. The there was a review though because I was looking at some of the reviews. I just I do my research. Yeah. And all the reviews were all really positive. And there was one right that made me laugh yeah I don't know if I should say his name 
No, don't. I'll say, I'll say so he knows who he is. Paul H. wrote, no I- <laughs> he gave you two stars, right? Right. And he wrote, no idea who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Blethered podcast presenter put me on to you. Looking forward to more of these. And I, just, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck does he mean? What? Does he Does he like it? Does he like gear changes and that, isn't I don't, it? No idea who you are. Do you generally get a positive? Oh, yeah. It's always, yeah, I'm really lucky in yeah. that way. But, yeah, so it's honestly overwhelmingly positive mm-hmm. because I don't think I'm strong enough flavour for people. They'll probably just not listen to it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just think, oh, he's boring or whatever. But this bloke sent me this message. Was looking forward to listening to your podcast with Noel Gallagher, but you come across as an utter cunt, so I turned it off. <laughs> Never listen to someone with a voice that that actually sounds like self-indulgent cock cheese. <laughs> I mean, how can cock cheese be self-indulgent? I know. And, how, and, and it's silent. But anyway, odd to me as I'm quite open-minded and I know my comment won't affect you. As long as you are aware you are dreadful at what you do, that's cool. It's like what? Is, is is that an anonymous profile? No, you can. I clicked on him, and he's just some twat who does like uh, he works in a bar doing that thing where you throw bottles around. Yeah, which, what an asshole! No, but I, I find that like because I thought at first you go like I said this on the Rob Beckett podcast because I spoke about that. Yeah, I, never that, read I that heard out. that. Yeah, that's, you know. I was like, you know, I don't know about you. Imagine Glasgow, same sort of thing. You yeah. just think, come on, then, you fucking cunt. Me, a hundred percent. Like I just, I just think. I don't know why, I just, I take that as like, I, don't, I forget, I don't think, oh, I'm in the media. Ugh. Yeah. I think, who the fuck are you? Who are you talking I'll take, to? I'll come around your house and beat the shit out of you. <laughs> and they, they, that's my initial reaction. Yeah, yeah. And then I think, actually, and then I, and then I thought, no, like, say something back, screen grab it, and then post it and just be like, you know, like, say something like, oh, so hang on, did you like the show or not? You know, <laughs> just yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and think, own it and be funny. Uh-huh. Because if you're, you know, funny back that actually disarms it and then yeah. I thought nah fuck it don't even get don't it. give them just, the oxygen just ignore it and then now I read that and I think that's funny and also it's so badly written yeah. and so like self-indulgent cock juice yeah. it's just like what that, and, and the irony is that is exactly what that message is utterly yeah. self that you think that's <laughs> yeah. so f- oh wow you, you really hit me where it hurts my yeah. fucking podcast but you know what, but it does make me think like because like what happens like what you realise is um, I don't think anyone's made a stone. So, like, if you do something, like I've done stuff in the past, sitcoms, right? Mm-hmm. Did a sitcom pilot once. Vic Reeves was in it. Reese Darby was in it. Is it Reese Darby? Right. Yeah, uh, the Kiwi guy from um, Flight of the Conquerors. Right, yeah, yeah, you know him. Am mm-hmm. I Brit? <laughs> yeah. Him. And but it it was meant to be a single camera sitcom, which is you know shot like uh, The Office or yeah. something like that. Um, but it ended up. Not actually, not the office because that's documentary style. But like, you I know, know what you mean. Though. Yeah, um, and it ended up being a studio sitcom, and it just got turned up and up and up, and got more and more silly. Yeah. And this, uh, and uh, my fault partly. I'm not blaming anyone else, but like, it turned out, and it was just like fucking hell. That didn't work. You know, mm. it's all right, but like, it was bad. And then Twitter is just like brutal. Oh. you know. But then, um, but I, the thing is, I knew yeah, this doesn't work. It's not right. So it didn't you know sometimes that's good sometimes it's bad because if you know oh shit they're right and you know yeah. but I just I was over it I was just yeah. like I don't care anyway I'm not going to do any more of this um, but yeah you've got to you, you realise like how one message or one th- you've got to be careful I think because if you 
you know, some people go, I don't read reviews and I just don't believe that. Yeah, I think right. they say that publicly so that reviewers might think, no, I'm not going to be really nasty because they don't even read them. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a strategy. But I think, you know, people say oh, snowflakes and stuff like that. But in, the, in like 20 years ago, not even that, 15 years ago, right? If you hated someone on telly, you'd rant about it in your house. Yeah. You might write a letter to proper cycle. Yeah. You might send a sort of angry letter to their agent, find out, you know, like, and that's never going to reach them. So people were like, you know, protected from that Mm -hmm. stuff. And so I do think nowadays it's like, you know, like a lot of talented people are a bit damaged and a bit, you know, vulnerable really yeah. behind the mask yeah um, I, I think social media is kind of like fire or like the advent or the discovery of fire and that you can it can be such a positive thing and you can use it to fuel a lot of things if it's used in the right way but if it's used recklessly and it's used to hurt people then it can be irreparable damage as yeah. we've seen from caroline flack yeah i think most recent example yeah i think it's important as well to go that's not the real world just get like you know, turn it, yeah, go out, go for a walk, and you just go. Oh no, hang on! People aren't shouting at me in the street. Yeah, exactly. I've never had anybody say anything to me in person. No, that they've said online. And I think the thing to remember as well is that in the Twitter thing, it's this heightened um, atmosphere, and it doesn't because people say, "Oh, that's what people think." It doesn't reflect it because it's everything is. As I say, it's 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 heightened and it's increased it's hyperbole. Yeah, it's like it's, you, you, if you, you know, if you don't like something you'll go if you took conversationally not to someone involved you would just tell your mate down the path oh, i thought it was shit you know i didn't really like yeah. it i didn't get it but you have to think as well like um you're putting your head above the parapet doing anything yeah and fair play to you so like it's uh, you know doing stuff makes you kinder because you realize oh no you know even whatever podcast or like pictures of you that you know see someone like doing some like blog or something yeah. about whatever and you think at least they're doing something. At least yep. they're, you know, creating some thing. They're d- yeah. being creative in some way. And so as soon as you do something creative, you create as well with the piece, you create critics, yeah. you know, and then you have to just accept that. Um, you said something quite interesting there, and this is a bit of a philosophical question, and it might go nowhere. You might just be like, don't know. But you said as you get older, you become more sort of thoughtful and chilled out and mellowed and like stop annoying the guy. So I feel like you as a person, you're quite reflective, mm. think quite a lot. You're sort of a deep thinker. And I think a lot of comedians are that way. There's a bit of sensitivity, even though you would dis- associate the craft or the, the industry or whatever with being cutthroat, with full of extroverts. We can be like an extroverted introvert, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that, I yeah, guess definitely. Yeah. You to be like that. Like everybody perceives you to be, I don't know, comedians to be completely impenetrable, thick-skinned, whatever, when it, in fact they seem to be, I'm not saying you are, but in general, the most fucking sensitive people in the world, you know, mm. whether it comes to criticism or how they're perceived or, you know, what people think. What is it that draws that type of character or personality to something like comedy? Does that make sense, what I'm yeah, getting Yeah, no, I think... Well, this t- firstly, I don't really consider myself a comedian just because I haven't done. I don't do stand up. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm, I think of myself as a writer, but then, I sp- yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm in the com. Yeah, yeah, I am a comedy person, I suppose. But interestingly, there's a massively high amount of 
comedy people who are terrified of flying, right? Mm. Yeah, Sarah Silverman, like, I don't know, Louis C.K., I remember reading a thing, you know, like Sarah Silverman, I used to follow on Twitter. Every time she gets on a flight, she sort of makes the, if I die, Joe, you know, cause yeah. she's nervous about it, whatever. Uh-huh. But, like, just a lot of people who I know and who are famous, who I don't know, but I know of them having a bit of a fear of flying, right? I think, I mean, if you want to get really philosophical, then comedy, they say, is about sort of death death and fear and, and coping with, it's, it's a coping mechanism yeah. for some sort of negative feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, there's a neurotic element to the brain. I think like a comedy brain works fast, and you, that's either because there's it's wired fast, so it, you maybe are suffering some sort of minor mental illness, yeah. really, mm-hmm. or you've had to use comedy to defend yourself and yeah. got funny because you were, you were in a situation that was tough or whatever. So it's a coping mechanism. So I think you've got to look at the psychology of why are you why is someone funny, you know? Yeah, and it's generally coming out of negativity. I think mm-hmm. so. That's probably why that people, you know, are tortured. You know, like you know, it's like tears of a clown thing, isn't it? It's yeah. like you, it's you can't sort of go up without coming down. It's like to get that, there's probably a downside to yeah. it. I don't know, but comedy people know, you know, they can talk normally and have a conversation, mm-hmm. but they're always the one part of their brain is always going, "What's the joke? What's funny? Yeah. What's the joke? What's funny?" It's like this thing. It's like this need to be funny, or or it's like a, a mechanism that you've used. It makes you money. It's your job. It's, you know, it's 90% of your personality. Oh, he's the funny one. She's the funny one, you know. But you can't turn it off. Yeah. So you've got this constant, I don't know. I, I, I think that could maybe, your, your brain basically is either wired differently or becomes wired differently. Because most people don't go through life going, what's funny about that? Every yeah. news story, everything, everything that someone says, is there a joke? There is a pun there? Is it, you know, like... Yeah, what's the angle? Yeah, what's the angle? Yeah. I wonder I if, if that extends to creativity in general. Just your mate Noel Gallagher is a good example and had quite a erratic childhood, you know, well documented. He spoke about his dad being quite violent, abusive, yeah. um, you know, not having much money. And I know that extends to a lot of people. But then obviously he's been highly creative in terms of songwriting mm. um, and music composition and stuff. That's just the first example that kind of came in my head. Noel's interesting because the, I think both born in 1967, him and Kurt Cobain, right? So mm-hmm. uh, Nirvana got big in what, like 90, 91, and he killed himself in 94 at 27. Mm. And around... 27, uh, 26, 27, Noel got famous. Mm-hmm. So Noel did say to me, you know, he said to me, and I think people, it's a thing that people say, you sort of get frozen at the age you got famous to some extent. Yeah. So he, and he'd done world tours as a roadie. Do you know what I mean? 27, yeah. you've got your head screwed on. Yeah. And that's where he got famous. So he's sort of approached life since then as a 27 year old mm. minimum. And then his brother, Liam, who's what, eight years younger, is he, or six years younger? that much? Um, I think he was like 21, 22, you know. So maybe he got frozen in time in terms of fame mm-hmm. there. But go back to like Kurt Cobain, I think him and Noel, obviously massively different personalities, yeah. right? But both really good songwriters, Beatles fans, you know, like mm. pop songwriters, really, essentially. Yeah. Um, um, but like... 
Kurt Cobain had, he was just, he wasn't comfortable in his own skin. Didn't, you know, he wasn't happy in the world. Mm-hmm. He just, whereas Noel is like really happy, right? So I, I've always thought, obviously they're completely different people. It's not like, ooh, a rock star is one thing. But like Noel's abusive, violent childhood with his dad doesn't seem to have, it almost, it's almost with Noel like, any day that you're not getting the shit kicked out of you, yeah. that's fucking great. Yeah. What a nice day. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the, the bar was set really low of yeah. like, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how often that happened and what ages and stuff. Mm. His dad was violent. But like, sounds pretty bad, you know. But he got, he, he like maybe because of his personality or whatever, came out of it strong because of that. And I know yeah. that he used the guitar to escape into. And so then, you know, that's just the hours that he's been in a room strumming and thinking and, you know, becoming a good melody writer and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But um yeah, Kurt Cobain, you just think I mean that's mental in itself that he achieved all that in twenty seven. It's interesting. I've I've thought similar, like even doing this on obviously in a small scale at this point. Um if it had been a few years ago, with the attention, because there is some uh, attention spotlight is probably not the right word, but there is more, more of a scrutiny, yeah. or more engagement and visibility with higher numbers of people, because a lot of people are listening to this, and then you've got the whole social media thing as well. And I think if it was a few years ago, I don't think I would have navigated it in yeah. the right way. Maybe a wee bit too, well, immature, I suppose. Hmm. Not well. Do you know what? Not immature, but not mature enough. To be able to navigate it, deal yeah. with it, not to put a foot wrong, especially in the social media age when any um, misdemeanor is seriously punished and penalised. I, I think the worst thing about it is the permanence. Yeah. Because even though it's like Instagram stories get deleted, there there is some transience to some bits of it. Yeah. But the permanent stuff, you know, pictures of you. Like, imagine, like, fucking hell, when I was, we like, to Reading Festival in 96 or whatever. Mm. And there's some, we had, like, those cameras that, uh, disposable you yeah. know, them you go take it to whatever boots and get the pictures back mm-hmm. so there's a few pictures but like kids these days they would be doing Instagram stuff videos you know like it would yeah, all go up all, online yeah. it's like and just I just you know I think Noel says it actually in the end of that documentary um, is it Live Forever no whatever the documentary is that came out it's on Amazon oh uh, yeah what's it called um, it's it a may, maybe Live Forever yeah, Liam's was as it was. Yeah, it's the one that's independent and was made about both of them. Yeah, um, but Noel says in it like that Oasis time ninety four, whatever that was ninety five, mm-hmm. uh, um, was the f- was the last time before social media, before everyone had a phone on them. Yeah, everyone filming on a phone. I think you know yeah. there was like Nokia, like you could play Snake on it. Thirty two ten. Yeah, yeah, all that. Um, but it was like the end of an era that we didn't realise, as you never do, realise, yeah. oh, something's changing now. So you've got your, the show coming up. What was the show that's coming on BBC Two in March? Um, Mr Winner is Mr. called. Winner. Spencer Jones is the lead. Um, it's a family sitcom, sort of physical comedy. Mm-hmm. So it's got its DNA, or it's got the DNA in it of like, Mr. Bean and Laurel and Hardy, some others to love okay. that sort of stuff. Yeah, right. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, are you? Have you got anything? Are you on Radio X just now coming up? Or? Um, no, the podcast is Global Radio X, so um, I might do some stuff with Gordon this year. Mm. 
Um, we normally do like a holiday cover if Chris Moles or Johnny Vaughan yeah. goes. Then they shift people around and I do that with him. Um, I'm writing a lot of stuff, uh, doing some drama stuff. So non-comedy right. writing, yeah, which is, yeah, trying to open up another channel. Yeah, is that sort of things late in the year or things that you're just working on? Just, just yeah, together? working on now. But I've got a lot of comedy stuff going on, developing new sitcoms and stuff. With the podcast, we funny how I would tell anybody to listen to it because you'll get a laugh. But some of, the, some of the chat was really insightful as well. I really liked the one with the guy, uh, Hayes Outdoors. Yeah. Talking about, you know, when he was talking about doing things in following it was his grandfather's footsteps and stuff yeah. some good chat but also yeah he's interesting yeah that's good um, who do you have coming up on it that um, so Terry Minot is an impressionist he's that was out I today heard, I heard the first 20 minutes of that my yeah. flight today I was I mean, it. that's amazing because he's an impressionist so when he does he's like uh, yeah. you know Christopher Walken or whatever <laughs> you just yeah. go fucking out um, Joe Lysett right yeah is the next one after that He's funny. Uh, we got drunk, though. I need to listen to that back. Really? We drank two bottles of wine in about an hour. <laughs> and by the end, it was like... Yeah, ...saying ever, anything. Um, so I need to pick the bones out of that. Um, David Baddiel. All right, that would be good. Yeah, talk to him. Because uh, he'd be good, because he, he wants to actually... You know, he'll be up for analysing comedy a yeah. bit. And sort of intellectual bloke, isn't he? Uh, but, yeah, whoever, really. I'm, like I say, I want to open it up and talk mm-hmm. to whoever. I think Gordon would be quite good in that. Gordon speaks well. Yeah, I said to Gordon about it because, like tabloids, you know, like it's yeah. you know, so yeah, hopefully, but I think I'll get a load of comedy people out of the way. Yeah, and then, and then it, it can evolve up. and open up, and I will just talk to anyone. The yeah, uh, I watched a few of the clip, weirdly on a bus, I had a boring bus trip to get to an airport near mm. Venice, and I watched all the things you did for Noel Gallagher's. YouTube channel. Oh yeah, just the interviews. fucking tears of laughter, like so funny. Oh, thanks. What was the uh, the one I actually sent about? There was two when it was like fast or slow, God or science, oh, yeah, yeah. and they are Chinese Ren yeah. boys. That is the one I was laughing. Oh at. man, some of the stuff that got cut out. Oh, well, I can a imagine. Shame. Such a shame. The uh, I thought the best one was um, if you're in a bar and you shout, "I love the blues," and BB <laughs> King overhears you. <laughs> Do you explain or do you just let him go on until he leaves? Yeah, I just throw an absolute load of nonsense. Yeah, and no, can, bless him, can deal with it. Yeah, but that, there's a thing I'll tell you, it's an exclusive thing. I, Rob Beckett, the comedian, I like Rob, said on WhatsApp, like, because he went on holiday with a skip outside his house, right? And obviously, people just fucking like local people realize there's a skip and yeah. dump shit in it right? yeah. so it was almost full up by the time he came up <laughs> and one of the weird things in there was these two crabs preserved in like this like display thing of resin like clear resin yeah. so it looked like they were in ice or whatever so he gets that and he puts it on WhatsApp and he's like look at this fucking thing and I was like oh, I'd like, I'll have that I love that and so I, my wife's like no you're not having that it's fucking disgusting it did look it looked homemade and weird yeah. so anyway I was interviewing Noel so I took it along with me as a sort of prop thing and I pointed at it and I said like these two crabs are brothers but they're arguing like what would you say that's the older crab that's the younger crab <laughs> what would you say to this crab and we had this mad conversation where he was going um, I'd fucking see that little crab like you're a fucking idiot keep your mouth shut and like, this whole thing and it was yeah. beautiful and he started, and it got quite not emotional but it was like deep man yeah. it was like 
you know, talking about him and Liam, yeah. um, obviously. Uh, and then, and then it was all funny at the end, but, but like, he basically, it's just, it becomes the story then. So it's like, nah, not, not antagonize Liam with, you know, that. Yeah. So it's a shame, but like, I mean, I've got it somewhere. Maybe it will come out one day, but like, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's up to him. He was paying for it. It's yeah. like yeah. what he wants, then. Yeah, he, it's and I could sort of see it would just it would just make him have a load of shit to deal with mm. for a couple of weeks. Not needed. But um, it was a, it was a shame because it was funny. Because your good pals, these like what do you, do you hang about? Like you've also both yeah. got waves. He's and calling kids. Him now because he wants to go for lunch. Is he two, right two missed now? calls? Imagine that. No, G. He must be furious. <laughs> I told him I was doing a podcast. But, um, oh, well, I can wait. He likes going for a little dinner every now and again. This has been great fun. Thanks very much Thanks. for coming along. We can put our shorts back on now. Yeah, put our tops back on, put our willies away. <laughs> and get on with our day. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me on.